it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. If you're listening to Investing for Beginners, then you probably care about money and learning how to make a good relationship with your finances. Everyone's Talking Money is hosted by money wellness expert and certified financial planner, Shauna Game. Everyone's Talking Money focuses on relevant, inclusive, and forward-thinking conversations around money. Hear about the money topics you need to know, such as ways to train your brain to reach money goals, why you should ditch your budget and start tracking your cash, and everything you need to know about paying off student loans. Simple steps to start investing as a side hustle, ways to invest in rental real estate, how to overcome money trauma, and so much more. With over 900 episodes, there's a show for any and every money question you have. I'm a big fan of Shauna's as well. She has a relatable style and soothing voice that takes some of the stress surrounding money. Shauna really speaks to the listener and never ends in an episode without actionable tips. I recently listened to the episode, Stop Stressing Over Your Money, a simple budgeting solution, where she talks about her simple, easy one, two, three system for budgeting. It helped me a lot. Are you ready to learn everything about money that no one has taught you? Do yourself a favor and subscribe to Everyone's Talking Money podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Finally, step-by-step premium investment guidance for beginners. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern to decode industry jargon, silence crippling confusion, and help you overcome emotions by looking at the numbers. Your path to financial freedom starts now. All right, folks, well, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. This is episode 142. Tonight, Andrew and I are going to answer some listener questions. We got some fantastic ones recently, and we thought we would take a few moments to answer those for you. So the first one is not actually a question. It's an update. Uh, Andrew and I have talked a little bit about coronavirus lately, and Andrew had some updates that he wanted to share with everybody. So I'm going to turn it over to my friend Andrew, and he's going to go ahead and take us away. Okay, sure. Yeah, I mean, um, obviously, this is something that's top of mind. We obviously recorded at the time when the market was very turbulent. And then the episode, we recorded it a week ago. The episode got released today, which is March 5th. And, um, you know, you'll be listening to this a week from now. And you know the carnage is not done yet. It kind of looked like it would be for a couple of days, right? And then today was just completely awful. I don't know if you did. You look at your portfolio today? Oh yeah, it's it's red. <laughs> it's real red. <laughs> yeah, it's like scary red. So mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I felt like last week I was a bit 
somber in attitude. I think this week I'm feeling a lot more optimistic about the situation. Um, but I don't think Wall Street is quite there yet. Based on, you know, I'm not any sort of coronavirus expert. I have little to no knowledge about medical stuff. But from my understanding, from stuff I've started to pick up, the mortality rate of the virus was a lot worse, like multiples worse in the Wuhan area, which I believe is like the more rural part of China that possibly doesn't have as good of medical support system and, and, and things in place to help people that do get sick. Um, so when you compare that with how it was in the rest of China, with with the cities in China and things of that nature, from what I understand, it was um, a lot worse in Wuhan. So that's kind of hopeful for the rest of the world. But I think when you talk about the spread of it, I think obviously it, it seems like we're still in the the early innings, which I think will have economic consequences. But will it be as dire as people are fearing and as Wall Street is fearing? I don't know. You know, um, we also talked off the air. You were saying how it's slowed now in China, right? Y- yes, I read that. I read that today. Actually, that the the n- new cases are slowing down. Uh, I don't know to what extent, but they said that they that they are slowing down in China, and that's an encouraging sign. Yeah. So, I mean, it's hard for me to be to feel good about the situation when I have a heavy concentration in airline stocks. Um, I have some allocations in travel, le- travel and leisure. I've mentioned that several times. I haven't necessarily given that stock pick away because it could be a stock pick in the future. It's obviously so heavily beaten down at this point. Um, and so, you know, when you look at things like that, and the reason I wanted to bring this up is because something we talked about last week was educating yourself and then kind of being a lot more aware and maybe a little more proactive at times when your portfolio is down. And so one way that you can kind of get updates direct from management as things are happening in real time. So there's this form from the SEC. It's called the 8K form. And basically what this is, there's several uses for the form. Uh, Basically, it's used whenever management wants to make a communication that doesn't necessarily need to be on a schedule. So like the 10K, the the 10K is once a year. The 10Q is four times um, a year. And the 8K can kind of happen whenever. So in the case of the airline stock that I hold, management wanted to tell shareholders how they think that it's going to play out for the upcoming quarter. And so that's what they did. And so these 8Ks are like kind of like press releases. A lot of times you will see management give guidance. And, you know, we're not big on guidance, obviously, as uh, as, as we've talked about on the show for a long time, we're more value investors. We kind of like to see what the numbers have been and not try to speculate too much on, on what the numbers will be, but to see management kind of 
change their guidance over time, and especially during special black swan type events like the coronavirus, I think it helps bring some comfort at a time where um, you might be feeling uncertain and Wall Street might be really killing your stock. So as an example of, of how this can bring some some peace and some calm to, to your emotions, um, the airline stock I purchased, they just released an 8K. And I think it was, it was like today or yesterday. And so they talked about, obviously, with the coronavirus, there has been interruptions in in some of these flights. And so what they did was they estimated what the revenue hit would be based on how the coronavirus has developed so far. And so they estimated it was, but essentially it was just a couple percentage points uh, compared to the rest of their revenue for the quarter. Now, obviously that can get worse. Um, and that's just kind of assuming that the virus is in China and that domestic travel, because my, my airline stock's big, U.S. domestic um, carrier, if that if that gives a, a hint to anybody, I I think it's still a great a great buy, but I'm very I'm pretty heavily concentrated in it, and so I'm not looking to add a bunch of it anytime soon. And so knowing that is is nice and it's helpful. And so something that I'll kind of we'll, we'll kind of see how this plays out, but. I've started subscribing to these email alerts. So, so far, every major stock I've checked where I own larger than five, I think, I think I, I set the cutoff at like 10%. Where, wherever I have 10% ownership, I have email subscriptions to the investor relations on each of these stocks. So, let's say you wanted to stay informed about Hormel. So you could go to the Hormel Investor Relations website. Somewhere on there, they should have a form for you to put in your email address and you can get these alerts as they come out live. And so whether that's new guidance, whether it's the last quarter's reports, whether it's an update on guidance, whether it's anything that they're just making an important press release that investors should know, then that's how you get those things. And and I like, so far, I like the idea of doing that. What's tough, I think there's a lot of resources right now on the internet for things like the 10K, especially the 10K. I think you can find those financials in a lot of different places. Um, but when you start to get to some of the other more obscure forms, it's not, there's not as many resources that gather them all together. I was trying to find a website that would group all the earnings guidance all together and that's very hard to find i haven't found a website that actually does that in a nice way at least in a way where you can kind of go back and see what management has said you know that they thought they were going to earn versus what they did earn and what the stock price did Um, so maybe that's a project for somebody who's data driven but you know seeking alpha does have they, they, some of the what's frustrating about seeking alpha is some of the press releases and some of the earnings reports they'll put, but not necessarily they won't necessarily catch all of them, or they'll be super delayed. Um, so that's frustrating. So I like this idea of subscribing to the investor relations page, and I'm going to kind of monitor that as as the months go on to see if if they're emailing me way too much or whatever. But I think. If you're panicking and you're looking for reassurance from management, or maybe 
maybe things are in a lot worse of a condition than than everybody thinks and management has some light into that maybe they want to be honest and upfront and and they'll and they'll talk about it so that can be different ways to stay ahead of the game and and maybe get better color commentary than you know the generalities you hear from the media which includes us me and you know dave and i uh, we'll say general things, but sometimes you want to know the direct impact to the stocks that you own, and this can be a great way to do it. I agree. That's a fantastic way. I uh, in, inadvertently uh, subscribe to two companies' investor relations years ago, and I get emails <laughs> from them regularly. I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> <to be blunt. laughs> That's to be blunt. And, uh, uh, I just, I went on the website looking for more information and, uh, somehow I ended up subscribing to a, a two of the companies and I still get this, you know, I still get the information, you know, every time they release something. So it is kind of, it is actually kind of cool because I get the eight K's and I get the 10 K's and the 10 Q's and, you know, any other things that they, they want to file. Uh, so I get to see all that stuff. Uh, I didn't necessarily know what all of them meant at first, to be honest. But once I started poking around and, and opening them up, I'm like, oh, that's what that is. Oh, that's what that is. So it is, uh, it is, it is a great way to stay current on things. I like you subscribe to Seeking Alpha as well. And I agree with your sentiment about them. Sometimes it's a little bit hit or miss and that can be a little bit frustrating. But if you do go to the, investor relation websites for any of these companies, you will find the ability to find all that information on a, on a regular basis, simply because it's just a conduit for them to get it out to us. Uh, and I don't know of any other place that aggregates all that stuff as well. So I, I like you do not have that, that resource. Uh, another thing that I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about with the coronavirus and some of the more economic impacts. Uh, like Andrew, I am not a doctor. I have zero experience with any sort of medical matters or any relation to any sort of virus and how to, you know, interpret any of those kinds of data. I just go by what I can read. Uh, some of it is obviously scare tactics. Some of it is not scare tactics. You know, some people are trying to be very upfront and honest about what they think, but sometimes it's hard to know who's got a slant and who doesn't. But uh, one thing that I was thinking about after we got off the air last week was uh, something that I came across reading some different blog posts from different authors was the idea of looking at companies that have gone through a recession recently, which would have been the 07 through 09 time period, and see how the company did during that time period. And that I thought was a really good way to assess how strong a company is when it's going through a, a tough time. And there's a lot of unknown about what's going on right now and what's coming. And so I think that's what's really scaring a lot of uh, Wall Street and what's driving the you know wild fluctuations from day to day, 5% up one day, 3% down another day, 4% down another day, and then back up 6%. So it's just all over the place. And it's really it's really hard to watch. But I think for me, if I go back and look at how a company did, i.e. Disney or Hormel or some other companies, and see how they performed during those periods, that can give me a lot more comfort knowing that maybe this company did really well during that time period. And so I can kind of expect them to kind of stay the same as they go forward. Yeah, that's a good point. 
Okay. Uh, let's see. Let's go ahead and read the next question. This is from Twitter. Uh, hey, Andrew, I'm literally in the middle of bringing your pod, binging your podcast as we speak. It's awesome. The strategies you speak to resonate with me. I love it. Question. Do you typically have to own a stock for a full quarter before you get paid a dividend? Thank you in advance for your time. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to Nerd Wallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before Nerd Wallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money. Not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. Yeah, I wanted to read this one because um, it's the second time I've heard this in the past week or two. And so, you know, let's cover it. I don't think we have. So basically, in a nutshell, dividends work, a company will announce it at a certain date, and then you basically have to hold through a second date, which is called the ex-dividend date. And then finally, there's a third date where you actually get the dividend in your brokerage account. So couple places I like to find this information generally. So Google can be different. So if you're listening to this like six years from now, you know, don't get mad at me if this isn't the case anymore. But if you Google search a ticker symbol, let's say, uh, go back to Hormel, HRL, and you say HRL dividend history, 
Uh, generally, the NASDAQ website will be one of the first to pop up. And so you can click on that and it will show you those three columns and you'll be able to see the latest one um, that they have announced and then when that date was that you must hold the stock through for you to get paid the dividend and when the dividend gets paid out. And so why that's important, why that's helpful is that you can just go back a year ago, right? If if they haven't announced anything and you're wondering, well, when can I expect them to announce the next dividend? Well, just go a year back and, and look at the month. And so uh, whatever that month is, and maybe you can reasonably expect that they'll make another announcement around then. Uh, I kind of found that companies don't necessarily stick to a strict schedule with that, but they seem to keep uh, within a range of like within that month, uh, they'll, they'll seem to announce around the same month. So that's one way to find it. You can also use Seeking Alpha if you go under, you, you type a ticker in and then you go on the dividend history tab under the dividends tab. That's another place where you can show uh, those three columns and that's that's how it's done. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. I one little tidbit I can throw at you. The uh, I have uh, Schwab now as my broker, and they list it on. Uh, when you click on a ticker, it'll tell you exactly when the company is going to be paying their dividend and when their ex dividend date is. It's kind of cool. Yeah, that's cool. I bet a bunch of brokers probably do that too. Yeah, I'm sure they do. Hey, you! What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's free ebook at stockmarketpdf.com. You won't regret it. All right. Uh, let's move on to the next question. Hi, Andrew. My name is Chris, and I'm fairly new to investing, but I follow your suggestions and try some of my own stock picks using an intrinsic value calculator and your value trap indicator. Now the portfolio is starting to fill up, and I'm going to reach the suggested limit of 15 stocks. I was wondering what happens with the monthly investments. How do you decide which of your stocks gets the monthly $150? The lowest VTI, the biggest difference between intrinsic value and market price, the highest dividends, so many options. Thanks and best, Chris. Yeah, this is a really good question, and I struggle to answer it because I don't want to gloss it over. I think there's no single answer, and maybe you could encapsulate it by saying, which stock should I buy, you know? And how, how does anybody describe that about their approach? But these are very good kind of ideas and, and I'd like to walk through some of them. So when I talk about the value chart indicator, for people who aren't aware, the value chart indicator is a tool that I created that uses the different financial metrics to give you an idea of a stock that would be a value trap, one that you should avoid or if you hold it, you should sell it. And on the flip side, if it's probably a strong buy, and that's going to be based on if it's cheap uh, compared to earnings, compared to other important financial metrics like sales, cash, um, how many assets do they have, things like that. Um, and so it's, it's based on a lot of research. I went through and looked at the biggest bankruptcies of the 21st century, drew some correlations, just went through a lot of data. Um, and so when I look at which stocks to buy now using that tool, it's I, I never intended it for it to be a tool where you can just look at the stock, 
it it has a good VTI, and so that means you're going to buy. Like that's not the intention of it at all, and I, I hope people aren't interpreting it that way. But it's it's like a great it's a great place to put your ideas. And if I have a list of five stocks that are all strong buy VTIs, then hopefully I can pick between those and. Um, hopefully most of them will, will turn out good because when you're buying low and the value trap indicator, when it has a strong buy, that's, that's, a, that's generally what it's doing is trying to buy low, at least compared to the overall market. Uh, in general, you, you should hope to see returns that are very favorable because you're not buying stocks that have gone up so high that they might be a bubble. and um, a lot of a book that I've recommended in the past and I, I should recommend over and over again uh, called What Works on Wall Street by Jim O'Shaughnessy. That one really breaks down how a lot of these valuation, price-based valuation metrics can help you pick um, undervalued stocks and, and find outperformance through doing that. And so VTI is a tool to help you find stocks like that and what makes it different than a lot of the other ones is it's it's combining the whole picture of the financial statements so you know you might have an analyst who specializes in uh you know what's the earnings for this company or maybe another one's just looking at what are the cash flows you know uh maybe another one's just looking at strictly from a balance sheet perspective and then what are the profitability or efficiency metrics based off of those. So what the value chart indicator does is if any little aspect of the financials are out of whack, then it's very difficult for that to, to score well. And so, you know, it needs to have a very conservative balance sheet. It needs to be strong with that uh, decent amount of cash it needs to be earning good profits all of these things are all requirements for the VTI, and, and so it was structured in that way um, to to try to do that for investors automatically. And and basically, it, what what's been the greatest thing about it is it's ended up being the best teacher of financial statements I've ever seen because it just it's seven or eight or nine metrics that you need to pull from the 10K, and that's it. And so you do those over and over and over again, and those are like the most common metrics, and everything else gets derived from those. So, like, it's amazing hearing all the people who have said they're confident, they're able to dig through and understand these 10Ks and these other SEC forms that we talk about because of the VTI. And so that's very, very cool. But, you know, the heart, that's the easy part, I guess. The hard part is, like Chris said, figuring out, you know, do do you want to buy a stock because one one stock has a lower VTI than another? Um, I think in, intuitively that can kind of make sense, but the longer I've used the tool and I've watched my own portfolio and seen which stocks tend to do better than others one of the conclusions of it is that i don't think a lower vti necessarily means it's a, it's a be- it's a better pick uh another thing that i've been chewing on lately and i've 
been you I've been implementing it, but not necessarily thinking it thinking of it in this way. So I don't remember if we ever talked about how Guru Focus has a feature where you can look at the historical valuations of of a of a stock. So like let's say the PE is a 15 and then they will show you uh, a range so the P, maybe the PE was between like 8 and 25 for the last 10 years. So then you kind of know what the historical range is and you know what, where the PE is at now. Did I mention that before? No, we have not talked about that before. Okay. I almost want to bet you money that I'm my, maybe, maybe I mentioned it off, uh, off a thing, but anyway, uh, historical valuations that can be, uh, really, I know I've talked about it in my e-letter, that's for sure. So it can be a great way to kind of stack the odds in your favor that you are actually buying low. So companies can go in and out of favor. Their industries can have bull and bear markets. You'll you'll see some industries that will do uh, kind of bad when, when the market's doing great and vice versa. Um, there's just so many moving parts. So using it from a historical perspective is something that I've started to do a lot more. And so as an example, if a stock has tended to be in a VTI range of, let's say 300 to 400, and right now it's trading at like a VTI of 250, well, I'm going to feel a lot more excited about that stock, particularly if it's something I want to own, because in general, the way the way that their business has kind of been run is, you know, they're at this certain valuation level and now it seems to be lower. So that seems like a really good buy low opportunity. Uh, Where on the flip side, if a stock has had a VTI, like the oil stocks kind of come to mind when I think about the other case, where if a VTI has been historically always at 100 to 150 then seeing a VTI at 150 maybe doesn't make me that excited to think that I'm going to be buying low in that situation because of because of that. Does that make sense? Yeah, it totally does. Okay. But, you know, I guess I don't know if oil is the best example because it's been totally beaten up. So it's like the chicken and the egg, right? Is like, is is their value valuations been so low for 10 years because the industry has been awful or is it just a terrible investment or is this just the way it is? I, I think that's a topic for a different day, but those are some of the ideas behind how you can use the VTI. I'll tell you, and I've said in the past, I don't pick stocks the same way every single month and every single year, I, I kind of have different themes that I've been shifting through. That's not to say, you know, I'm always using the VTI and those always need to come back as a strong buy, but sometimes I'm targeting dividends. Sometimes I'm targeting like super strong balance sheet, like a no debt situation. Sometimes I'm targeting growth. So it, it's really, you take it by a case by case, you kind of take what the market is giving you as long as you stick to your general values behind the investing, then you can kind of use the VTI and I feel like you'll have really good 
really good chances of, of doing really, really well. Um, and so for me, those principles are buying dividend paying stocks, making sure those dividends are growing, at least having the majority of my portfolio in that situation and having stocks that I'm comfortable owning and either having some that I'm looking to buy low and sell high and others that I'm looking to hold forever. So those are all things to keep in mind. And um, that's the reason why it's not a simple answer, but I think it's it's definitely one that's worth pursuing because I think I think you could take and and I think you you you've seen it I'm sure like Dave you're in the um the secret Facebook group that we have for VTI spreadsheet clients yes and it's amazing how many different types of stocks people will will share that that they're all looking at and they all have their different opinions on them so I think you you could take ten. Or a hundred, or a thousand people who are all using the VTI spreadsheet, and they'll come up with ten, a hundred, or a thousand different portfolios. And I think that's the beauty of it, and um, and that's just the reality of being an investor. Is you're not the same as the person next to you. You're not at the same stage of life as the person next to you. You don't have the same risk temperament, and you don't have the same favorite stocks, right? So those are all things I think to keep in mind when, when you, when you think about buying like that. I agree. Those are all fantastic ideas. And I love how you put all those ideas together. And the thing that I like the most about it is that it, um, it has a common theme throughout it. You're still sticking to the same basic principles of building the portfolio. You're just trying to, I guess, looking around to see what, like you said, what the market's going to give you, uh, I can give an example for me personally, a company that I have wanted to buy for a really long time has been Disney because I have always felt like that that was a very strong company that is going to produce a lot of great returns over a very long time period, not just today, but 10, 15, 20 years down the road, I think it's still going to be, you know, cranking it out and doing a great job. And so that's a company that I have wanted to own. And because of the recent fluctuations in the market recently, I've had the opportunity to invest in that company. And for me, that's a company that I would want to keep putting money into when I have the opportunity to do it. Does it mean I'm always going to have that opportunity? No, it doesn't. Uh, there's other companies out there that I'd like to buy as well that I think are really great companies, very strong, and are going to have enduring profiles that will last for a very long time. Uh, to quote Warren Buffett, it's a wonderful company. I want to have it, but it's not at a valuation where I feel like it is something that I could buy because it's just too expensive at a particular point in time. And so when it's time for me to buy something else, then like Andrew was suggesting, I'm going to look at other places because I'm going to, I'm going to look and see what the market is going to give me as opposed to trying to just stick to, you know, I want to fill all this slot up and then I want to fill all this slot up and all this slot up because you have to take into consideration other aspects of what's going on in the market. You may be really wanting to add to, you know, a tech portion of your portfolio, but tech is getting, you know, all the love in the world. So the prices have gone through the roof. So that's maybe not necessarily the, the greatest time to buy. So I think Andrew's advice in following your path and sticking to your guns and doing what you want to do is the great way to do it and just kind of 
you know, following, following that guidance, I think is, is a great, great idea. Yeah. I like how you laid that out. You know, there's, there's great companies and you can't always buy them because sometimes they'll be expensive. Yep. It just, it just is. It's just, it's, you know, it would be wonderful. It can, but it can't always. So I, there's like one other last question I wanted to cover tonight and then we'll wrap up. Um, it's kind of similar to the one we just answered, but maybe it would be nice to get your input, Dave, because this is coming. So the last question was somebody who's pretty close to filling up their portfolio. This one's somebody who's starting fresh. So we'll get Dave's fresh opinion um, on this. He says, hello, Andrew. My name is Daniel. I've been listening to your podcast for some time now, and I've enjoyed it so much. I've also recently subscribed to your email letter. Haven't invested in any stocks. I'm very encouraged to do so. I'm looking for long-term returns and building wealth that way. My question is, how do you create a dividend portfolio? With many companies to look into, is it wise to buy shares from companies that are established or buying low on companies that have potential? Sorry if you're very disgusted with what you might have, but I'm just looking for some direction. Thank you, Daniel. So Dave, for the absolute beginner out there who's at a place like Daniel is and wants some good, give him something to push him to start. What would you say? Oh boy. Uh, well, here's what I would probably do. The first thing I would start with would be looking at, if you're going to start with a dividend portfolio, it would be to look at dividend aristocrats. Uh, what are dividend aristocrats? Uh, dividend aristocrats, if you're not familiar with them, are companies that have been paying a dividend for at least 25 years, a growing dividend for at least 25 years consecutively, have a certain market cap and are traded in the S&P 500. Uh, those companies are generally fantastic companies. Uh, they're all strong companies because they've been paying a growing dividend for 25 years. And by and large, uh, that's a difficult thing to do. And you can really only do that if you're a profitable company and are making money. So with that being said, that's a great place to start. Now, as we were saying just a moment ago, you're not always going to be able to buy all those companies. There are going to be times, unfortunately, where some of those companies are just going to be too expensive to buy at that particular time. So if that's not an option for you, then the other option is to look at other investors that you admire, whoever they may be, and try to find companies that they are buying into that are paying a dividend. And one of the things that Andrew has uh, really pounded into people, uh, inclu myself included, is trying to find companies that are growing their dividends. Now, dividend aristocrats are kind of a, a beast upon, among themselves, but there are companies out there that are on the way to being a dividend aristocrat and may have been paying a growing dividend for 10, 15 years, but maybe aren't quite there yet. So those are you know great places to start. Uh, companies that pay really strong dividends that I like, that's a, a sector that Andrew's not as big a fan of, is financials, uh, looking at banks or insurance companies. Uh, those are a little scarier for some people just because they don't understand the language of how banks and how insurance companies work. But generally, those are companies that pay fantastic dividends. And I'm not talking about going out and buying 12 companies in the, in the financial sector. That's certainly not what I'm recommending. But if it's something that you are comfortable with then buying a JP Morgan or you know maybe not a Wells Fargo right now cuz they're getting kind of hammered but you know a JP Morgan a Bank of America or a US Bank wouldn't be a bad idea because they pay a great dividend it's growing they're strong companies but they are 
a little bit different for people to understand. And so that could be a challenge. Uh, the other area that I would look at is uh, talk to my friend Andrew because he is, after all, the drip king. And uh, that is what he's known for is investing in dividends. And uh, I would actually like to hear what his thoughts were. Uh, I don't have any thoughts because th- th- those are fantastic ideas. I'm, I'm glad you introed the, the dividend aristocrat. Yeah, I don't have any thoughts, but let me just talk again for, for 10 more minutes. The, the ones that popped in my <laughs> <laughs> the ones that popped in my head, you know, because um, he asked, should you buy companies that are established or should you buy low on companies that have potential or should you buy, you know, dividend aristocrats like Dave's recommending? I say, why don't you do all three? So I'll give an example. Uh, back in 2018, I bought a company called Carlisle. I think it's Carlisle Companies or Carlisle. Um and so they're in pl- the plastics industry, um, rubbers, s- stuff of that nature. And they have been growing their dividend for over 45 years. Um, and I was also buying low on the stock uh, because the valuations were just really nice. And so that became one that after a year or a couple of years, it appreciated quite a bit. And so in that time, I was able to to sell for a really nice profit. I actually just sold that a couple of days ago. So, you know, that's an example of a stock where you could still buy a dividend aristocrat, could still be undervalued, um, and you get that buy low, sell high situation. Another one I really liked was a company called Aaron's, um, ticker AAN. And that one I bought before when the price to book and the price to sales was really low. And they had a really small dividend, like less, much less than a percent. I think it was even like, like 0.1 or 0.2, whatever it was. But they had been in, in growing the dividend for nine years and now they're going on 10 years. And so I liked the fact they were growing it. They were growing it at a pretty good rate and I really liked the valuations. And so I ended up selling that one. And I can't remember if it returned like 50 or 60%. So that was another buy low, sell high. And I have other companies in my portfolio too, where you know those I'm hoping, hoping to hold forever. And those can be ones where maybe you're not necessarily buying at the lowest you could buy it, but it's a company you really like. It's very established and um, it's got a really nice track record for growing the dividend. So those are all, I think you can't go wrong in either of those directions. I think he's asking good questions here. I, I liked all of these questions, really. Um, good job, and hopefully something here was helpful for somebody. All right, folks. Well, that is going to wrap up our conversation for this evening. I echo Andrew's comment. Uh, the f- questions were fantastic tonight. I loved all of them. And hopefully you guys found something of value that you guys can use to help you with your investing. So without any further ado, I'm going to go ahead and sign us off. If you guys are enjoying the show, please subscribe. And if you're really enjoying the show, give us a five-star review. That'd be fantastic. We would love it. Thank you very much. Uh, you guys go out there and invest with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you all next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day.
The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and/or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at eInvestingForBeginners.com.